and um, make sure you got a copy of the book there, right, Cameron? I do. It's so beautiful. When we when we get to the, uh, I'll have you hold it up. I just got my four four boxes. I just got my uh, copies in today. So Did you know? I, uh, it's it's yeah. a gorgeous. I'll, I'll say again, but yeah, it's it's a gorgeous book. So yeah, they did a really good job on it. I was sort of side eyeing the like when they when they when it went up online. I was like, oh, twenty four for a trade paperback. I figured it was going to be like just you know the standard, you know, trade paperback size. And and then you know, once they started getting copies, and you know, I knew that they had pictures and stuff. But like once like like Joe Monty. Um, uh just emailed me like the other day and was like this is a hefty book and i you know i didn't quite appreciate it until you know i actually had it in hand it's like oh my god this is actually a very chunky boy so <laughs> great book yeah <sighs> all right i'm gonna do a short uh top of the show intro keep it quick and then we'll jump in and start talking about the book all right i'm gonna count us in now in three two one it's get to work hurley your podcast of work with cameron hurley brought to you by cameron hurley your host now cameron hurley that wasn't as good as my monty or was it better the monty don intro that you did i'm like dude you are you're just a little off your game today it's okay though tim Tim, I, have, I appreciate you and all the work you do. I haven't been sleeping well, so my uh, intros are a little off. Yeah. Uh, it's so hot that <laughs> I can't sleep well. Uh, let's just do a quick uh, update at Patreon.com. You have uh, your May short story up. We who sew smiles into children. A laugh riot about... <laughs> Another one, a, a lighthearted tale from Cameron. Uh, no, but uh, you can pick this up uh, or you can pick up, you can grab a PDF, EPUB or Mobi by joining at Patreon every month, a new short story. Everyone should check that out. And uh, we have a guest for two weeks or two podcasts in a row. We've had guests. Incredible. This is, it's exciting. And joining us from hopefully cooler climates, on the east coast it's mr andrew liptak hi andrew hi it is a little bit cooler out here not too much but it's habitable <laughs> <laughs> the snow has finally melted just a bit <laughs> so oh, andrew wow. now i i've known you for i mean known you but i mean we've run in the same circles for like years and years but for those who may be unfamiliar with you um give yourself a little introduction so I've been, uh, geez, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I write nerd stuff. <laughs> um, so I've, I've been writing for more than a decade now. I started at uh, places like io9 and SF Signal. Um, I, I've done a little bit of short fiction, but I've, I've mostly been known as a, a journalist. I've written extensively about science fiction, fantasy, entertainment, tech, uh, and a whole lot in between. And um, I, I've, I also write a newsletter called Transfer Orbit, and um, it's basically just all about sort of the, the intersection of science fiction and the real world. Um, and then in addition to all that, I dress up as an Imperial Stormtrooper from the um, Star Wars franchise with a group called the 501st Legion. And um, I, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's sort of the, the, the snapshot of my resume right there. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I highly recommend uh, his newsletter, Transfer Orbit, just anyone who's interested in science fiction fantasy and keeping up, frankly, with um, the plethora of amazing books that are coming out. Um, Andrew does some really great in-depth analysis um, on the field, um, very up-to-date on what's, you know, coming out and going on, which is why I was so excited that you were doing this book, because it's like this perfect intersection for you. It's like cosplay, and you got the historian background and the journalism background. And it all came together in this new book of yours, which is, and for people who can see the video, which is cosplay, a history. And uh, we were talking about before the recording started, this is a meaty book. Like it's beautiful. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's a beautiful, yeah, illustrations, it's full color, the excellent interviews with people. Um, 
I, I just thought it was, yeah, super, super impressive. Um, and I read your, your cosplay origin story in your book, <laughs> which I know you get to, but tell us a little bit specifically about that in the Star Wars concert. Yeah, and, and it, it's hard to tell from the pictures. This, this is like a, a cat killer class book. It, it's hefty. It is a, it, it's a lot heavier. I, I just got my copies today and I was just surprised at just how hefty it is. It's, it's a chunky, chunky boy. Um, yeah, keep beware if you're if you set set it up on a shelf and a, you've cats nearby because it will definitely murder them. <laughs> coffee table book, perfect for a coffee table. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my my origin story is I, I you have to go back a long way, and, and every time I, I sort of think back to how long it's been, I, I just get a couple more gray hairs. Um, 1997 is when Star Wars the special editions came out, and that's when I was introduced to that franchise. Uh, my dad took me to, um, and they were sort of like, well, you know, if he's scared, he can, you can take him home and wasn't scared, didn't blink the whole time. And then I distinctly remember on the drive home, just thinking how cool the, the uniforms of the stormtroopers were. Um, and just thought like, it'd be really cool to dress up as one of those somehow. I never quite got into the idea of like making a, my own suit out of cardboard. I, I just, I wasn't really that creative as a kid, I guess. Um, but I, I also just wanted like, the actual thing. I didn't really want to make like a, a half-assed version. So I, you know, I thought about like, you know, could I make it in shop class at high school? No. Um, but then when um, I got to my senior year in high school, I was in band and we played the Star Wars for my final concert. I, I bugged my music teacher for six years straight. You know, can we play Star Wars? Can we play Star Wars? I was a little obsessed with it. Still am. And um, he said, you know, we, we, we started rehearsing it and just to make the concert really cool, it, you know, I had learned about this group called the 501st Legion, um, probably from Star Wars Insider, which was like the, the official Star Wars magazine. And um, they had started to like run pieces about this group that of people who dressed up as stormtroopers and Imperial officers and, and stuff. So we sent out an invitation, uh, invitation and one of them drove all the way up to Vermont from Rhode Island and marched in in the middle of imperial march it blew the crowd away and it, you know afterwards i was like how do i do this for myself and uh, he ended up selling me a suit of armor um that summer and i you know i got it at the end of the summer put it together and um then didn't really do anything with it for <laughs> for a couple of years I, I worked at a summer camp so i would bring it out for skits and and just for the general cool factor um you know at college i would bring it out every now and then for for i don't know just not really parties or anything but like just for for fun um and then I really, I sort of, I, I wasn't really sure. I, I really, really wasn't aware of like what conventions were. Like it wasn't just, it just wasn't something I had really come across over, over the years that I had been a Star Wars fan. I I'd come up through like Star Wars messaging bo message boards and I sort of knew about Star Wars Celebration. Um, and so in 2005 is when they held Celebration 3, which is the, the third big Star Wars con over in Indianapolis. I had like a, I think I had spring break or I was, it was like right at the end of, I don't know. I, I, the timing worked out and I was able to get a flight and I brought me and my armor over to a hotel room, got to hang out at the convention. I volunteered. So I got in for free and basically manned the um, author signing line in armor. So I got to meet a lot of authors like uh, Timothy Zahn and Aaron Alston, uh, Karen Travis, uh, Matthew Stover. Um, and uh, that was just, it just blew me away. And I, and I, and along the way, you know, I met hundreds of other stormtroopers and other people who were like, just like, you know, they had armor like me. And so when I got out of, you know, that was sort of my, my first real introduction to fandom. So I, um, after I got out of college, I, I basically was looking for something neat to do. And I had a job and disposable income and a car and was like, all right, I can just, you know, I can go do this now. So I would basically drive all over New England, um, you know, pack up my armor in the morning, go down and do a parade, come back that night. I would, then, you know, or, or like a, a Make-A-Wish event or Autism Speaks or a breast cancer walk or a local convention. And that's sort of where I got into like sort of the con, the, the con world. Um, these are like the, sort of like the local, local-ish Comic-Cons rather than like the, the capital F, or sorry, capital F fandom cons, like Reader Con. Um, and I was actually uh, explicitly warned not to bring my Stormtrooper armor to Reader Con one year, uh, my, my mentor at, at, at my university was Brett Cox, and he was like, this is not that type of convention. Don't bring your armor. <laughs> and so I didn't. But um, that was, um, 
you know, that, that's sort of how I got into fandom. And then like along the way, I got into sort of the science fiction journalism side of things. And, but, and over the years that, you know, I'd write about, I'd write about cosplay. I had, um, you know, I, I did a small, a, a series of articles on io9. I was the weekend editor for a year there and basically did like, uh, I had just bought a new set of armor. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to document my builds on io9. And basically uh, this is how I do the arms and this is how I do the shoulders and the, all the, the helmet and sort of just cataloged that. And um, yeah, that's, that's basically my, my origin story for that, for that, you know, type of my particular brand of fandom and sort of how it sort of bled into my journalism career. Well, and then how did this book come about? Um, because again, long time cosplayer, historian, journalism, and it feels like like the ideal project for you. And I'm just wondering like, did you approach someone? Did someone come to you? What was, how did that end up taking off? Yeah, anytime anybody asks me about um, like how do you get how do you get to write a book, I have like the worst answer in the world because um, you know I fell into this sort of sideways. Um, Joe Monty of Saga Press approached me, and I I, um, I had known him ahead of time. Um, I'd reviewed some of the books that he had edited. Um, I think this was probably when did um, Light Brigade or Stars or Legion probably a little bit before Stars or Legion came out, 2016, thereabouts. Oh so, but so anyway, there's a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of his books that you know he, I had reviewed or I I had featured in in book lists or whatever, and um, so we we knew each other. We we met for lunch a couple times when I was in New York City and, and whatnot. And uh, 2016, there was a or sorry, this must have been 2015. 2015, he had gone to San Diego Comic Con, and there had been a 501st member who had lost his wife to cancer or or something like that, and to honor her memory and to sort of raise attention for, for, you know, that sort of that particular uh, brand of cancer research, he marched 501 miles from Rancho Obi-Wan in Northern California, all the way down to San Diego in armor. Um, he had a cart and he suited up and, just, and, and walked. I, and um, Joe came across that and was like, you know, is there a story here? Like, like, what is the, you know, is this just like, like one, I, I think he probably knew a little bit about what the 501st was, but like, didn't, wasn't sure about what the whole larger story was. So, um, sat down and was like, you know, we basically plotted out, you know, this is what the history of the 501st looks like. And, and sort of talks about, um, how a, a guy named Alan Johnson got in touch or, or got his set of armor in 1997 and basically how he built this big worldwide group. Uh, and just to give you a, a sense of scale for what the group is now, we've got about 15,000 members worldwide. Um, we're on, every, we've been on every continent. Um, members have brought their armor down to Antarctica. We've got um, garrisons in China. We have a Russian outpost. We have um, a Saudi Arabian outpost. We have Ar like Argentina has an outpost or, or garrison. I can't remember which. Um, the United States has a ton of garrisons all over the place. And a, a garrison is like a local geographical club. Um, New England Garrison has is everybody who's in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts are part of the, the New England Garrison. Vermont has its own squad. Uh, we've got about thirty members here in the state. Uh, an outpost is sort of like an isolated area where you know you might have one or two members, but not enough for an entire garrison and not enough for a squad. But there's not really the the support there. So that's sort of what that that language is. Um, and so, like, you know, if, if you trace the, the developments of, you know, the granular developments of how the group came about, that was sort of what we had sort of thought about. And that book never really came about. Uh, um, it was, there was some, I'll say, legal-ish issues, or there's, there's sort of, sort of you know, they basically wanted to make sure that, like, Lucasfilm wouldn't get upset if they published a book about this. And we never really got word from Lucasfilm as to, A, they had received it, and if it was yes or no. So we basically said, all right, I got to move on to other things. And, but you know, the, the idea had bit me and I was like, well, if, if I really want to tell the story of the 501st, which I still did, um, how do you, you can't just tell about, talk about the 501st as a, its own thing. You have to provide context. And so what I realized, you know, even sort of before we, we dropped it initially, um, you know, we have to provide context for what was cosplay ahead of time. Like what was the entire fan culture that basically led to people dressing up in costume and how far back did it go? So, yeah, and I know a little bit about this, like, um, you know, Worldcon had a masquerade 
um, at the very first Worldcon in New York, 1939, Forrest Ackerman and um, Merrill Douglas showed up in um, their own costumes. And people kept doing it from there. Um, you know, Star Trek cosplay was a big thing. Um, and there's all these other little examples over, over the years. So I basically retooled the entire project and, and sort of, all right, how do we look at this holistically? And not only like, where did cosplay come from, but like, what are all the individual developments that makes cosplay, that made cosplay happen? Um, there's a book that was really influential that I read along the way, uh, The One Device by a guy named Brian Merchant. And it's a history of the iPhone. And it's not, it, it, he does sort of do the beat by beat of like how the iPhone came about. But along the way, he looked at like, where does, where do cameras come from? Um, what was the impact of having this device, this super popular device um, unleashed on the United States? Like, what does that impact have on like the, the nation's cellular network? Um, and the, the weird, the, the really uncomfortable truth of that was that, you know, as you increase, you have more people going up on those poles, more people will die because it's a dangerous job. And so that, that was really a, a sort of an aha moment for me that, that we could look at like cosplay, not just from like a really fanish history, but like how does this fit into the larger world of entertainment? Uh, because the, you know, the, the world that spawned Star Wars in 1977 is so much different now in 2021, or sorry, 2022. Um, what, what role do fans play? And, um, you know, how does, you know, how, how does, how do you have a group that, comes out of the 1990s environment and sort of adapt to the world we're in now um and there's a lot of there's a there were a lot of changes along the way like i remember when i was um first doing this so like 2007 2008 you know we would be stopped by someone on the street they'd have a camera they'd have they'd stop us they'd take a picture and then they'd go off and then as cell phones came out we started to see people taking selfies with us and um along the way the 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 look and feel of characters from Star Wars begin to change. You see more people of color, um, more women coming in. And that, that has an impact on the fan community because it gives them permission. Like, oh, the, we have characters that um, you can, that look like you, they, it's a validation. And so you have all these massive changes that are happening all over the place. And not, this is not just for Star Wars, but it's for, for all, all over. Um, so you have this, evolution of this hobby that has gone up and down and it's it's changed with the times and you can never quite extract that from the real world so the technological changes um the social changes the political changes and um yeah i, I hope that the book you know I, I think the book covers all of that i hope I, I hope people enjoy it and find it interesting yeah one aspect i found um super fascinating was again how fandom now has because of again, communication and just the instantaneous of the internet and all of that, um, that fandoms are really closely connected to the franchises, right? Um, and people are listening, like the people creating it are listening, are able to listen more and more to fandom. And you're, you know, again, in the books, you know, Star Wars is the biggest example, um, but fan-made designs are now starting to become canon. Yeah. Um, are you anticipating that, you know, we're going to see more franchises uh, embracing fandom the way that especially Lucasfilm has done um, and, and incorporating fan-made content? That does, definitely does seem to be like where that trend is kind of moving. It, it's really hard to say. And I, I would hesitate to use Lucasfilm as like a leading, like an example of leading a trend. Lu so Lucasfilm has, and sort of to go back into the history of the 501st, um, these are big companies that own property and we are playing in their playground. And for a long time, a lot of the prop making world was sort of underground because they would get sued if they just tried to sell something on eBay or, you know, put an online listing out somewhere for like, Hey, I made this prop of, I don't know, like a phaser or a, or a prop from, from Babylon five or something. Um, you know, they would get, they would get, um, you know, a cease and desist letter and nobody really wanted that. So for a long time, how you would buy a prop or a costume is you had to know somebody who knew somebody and you, or you had to be on the right forum. That sort of changed with time because um, there's an influential prop replica uh, website called the RPF, the Replica Props Forum. And they, it's like the place to go if you want to um, learn, you know, learn how to make something or find something. And they're, one of their members is uh, one of their, their owners is based out of um, Las Vegas, and he realized that that's where the the lawyers who did 
they had a big market, they had a big um, licensing convention out there. And so they basically went and they basically made these face-to-face contact and, and relationships with the lawyers for these big studios. And that sort of helped, um, you know, lower the temperature a little bit. So they, you, you they would, they, they, these, these companies would sort of realize that there's a human faceless. These aren't people who are just trying to make a buck off of their IP. They're trying to actually, um, you know, they're, they're fans. They, they just want to celebrate it. Um, the fight when the fight first started, Lucasfilm start, started to hear about how you know there's this group of people dressing up as stormtroopers. They didn't really know them, um, so they sent a guy named St- Steve Sansweet out, um, who was the head of fan relations, and you know he met them and you know basically said you know what you guys are doing is cool, but like let's set some ground rules, like you know don't sell the stuff you know you know widely, um, you know try to sort of keep you know behave so you're, you're representing our brand, and. Um, we've had a really strong relationship with Lucasfilm. Like we, they have, um, they bring us into um, big events. Like uh, back in November, I was, I was one of the troopers selected to march in the, the Macy's day parade. Um, and that was actually as like a paid performer. Um, but, you know, I had the armor to do that. Um, and, as, and speaking as like um, uh, fan stuff becoming Canon, you know, for uh, the the uh, Mandalorian, when that big scene at the end of season one, where all the stormtroopers run out, those are all five hundred first members that they recruited because they were like, well, we know folks who have this armor, we don't want to have to make our own. Um, and that, and actually, uh, have either of you seen the most recent episode of Obi Wan Kenobi yet? Not the or, most recent. Do you care about spoilers, or do your users care about spoilers? Okay, there's a big. You know, it's going to be a spoiler, so okay. skip ahead. There's a big. Okay. Um, that you know we show up again and there's other members who show up in it so we have people who uh, you know people who are designing you know this is a studio that is built you know buying stuff or or commissioning stuff from the people who are, have become experts in making it which is really pretty cool i don't think that's really the case everywhere um and star wars is sort of a of um I'd say sort of a unique example because we have the organization behind us uh, as a big group, 15,000 members is, is sets its own sort of uh, weather, so to speak. Um, but also like some studios like Paramount, like they've not been really great with that. They, they don't really have a good relationship with their fans. They, they set down some owners rules a couple of years ago. And I know in the, like the mid nineties and like eighties, there was really, they, they really didn't like, like Paramount, like hated the Star Trek fans and just wasn't a big fan. I don't know if that's exactly the case today. Um, and maybe it's changing. So I don't know maybe we'll see some we'll see some changes there. But I do I do know that these studios are paying attention to what cosplayers do. Um, there was a guy I met, and this is not a detail that made it into the book. Um, but like he had worked for HBO, and and some like the behind the scenes, like he helped produce some of like the behind the scenes uh, content for like shows like Game of Thrones and stuff. And he said that yeah, like we use cosplay stuff all the time, um, just either for pictures for for marketing or for. Um, um, you know, as influencers. And that, that's sort of another avenue for where cause, you know, one, one place that cosplay has sort of expanded into is, is people who are, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a, a vocation that people can put this to use with. Um, and some people have massive followings, millions and millions of people who follow them because they, um, because they, they dress up in costume and they, you know, uh, that's sort of what like they like to do. And, and, what, what their, their followers really like to see them do. Yeah, and I thought um, it, it was interesting to me, just because, again, Paramount, um, that you had said that, that yeah, they, they did put down their onerous rules, but they did make rules. Like, it has to be less than 15 minutes. I mean, I was reading the book. Um, so they at least, yep. like, made that nod, which in the past, I don't even think they would have, you know, gone even to that, to those lengths. Um, so I actually thought I saw that as rather a positive sign for Paramount. <laughs> so, and I am wondering if we'll see more of, uh, uh, again, just that, yeah, you can use it, but, um, and maybe there's, there's maybe there, and again, I think, I think the sweet spot lies somewhere, you know, certainly more toward Lucasfilm and less, you know, toward Paramount, but I think that it's, it's become such a force of nature. I am just wondering if, um, we'll see a lot more. Yeah, you can do this, but these are the rules. Otherwise, we'll slap you. Um, so I am wondering if that's going to happen a little bit more. But eh, we'll see. Corporations got a corporation. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I think that 
Paramount's not the greatest of examples for, for how to sort of handle fan relations. Um, I knew a couple of folks here in Vermont who had done um, uh, fan films for a while, and they were actually in the process of developing a fan film at that time. And they, um, you know, when those rules came down, they were like, we, we can't do this. Like it, it completely destroyed what we we're planning on doing. And they ended up retooling it into making it into their own project which I think in the long run probably, you know, is, is a little bit better, but, or, or better for them. But it was like one of those, um, it, yeah, it's just one of those things. Like I, I thought Paramount's rules were, were really onerous on fans because like, they're like, you can't, um, you really can't use any of the imagery of Star Trek in, in the thing. You can't even call it that. Um, whereas like Lucasfilm has, I think Lucasfilm placed a little bit more trust in the fan community that they will, carry you sort of carry the the torch for the franchise and um you know we'll we'll see how it shakes out i mean i i all of this stuff is evolving like the the groups like the 501st like we are sort of dependent on you know disney seeing us as a value add to their to the world and if they are um you know if if they decide to abruptly change their minds as they might very they could very well do you know they could very well you know be the end for our group i don't think that's exactly gonna be the case i think that you know what we a the pr fallout would be not great but um you know we we bring a lot to you know as sort of volunteer spokespeople for you know the for the franchise i i think that it you know it's, it's a really helpful thing for them in the long run and i think they recognize that even if they don't recognize that for other things Oh, so Andrew, um, let everybody know where to find you uh, and your newsletter and what the best place to buy the book. Best place to buy the book is anywhere you can buy a book. Um, it, it's a, I just actually did a, a, a newsletter issue that sort of outlines a lot of this stuff. Uh, if you go to Amazon, go to Amazon, but you can find it uh, Amazon, Barnes Noble, Books A Million, Walmart, Target. Um, your local indie bookstore should have it, bookshop.org um should have it uh, actually people who've ordered it from bookshop have already gotten copies they they got it before i did um <laughs> i've been sitting here like ah we're mine i um, know that yeah <laughs> yeah and and I've, I've i've actually been that person for a long time because like i get a lot of review copies and i'll get a lot of authors saying like well you got my you got a copy before i'm like eh, okay and then now i'm realizing oh okay now i now i now i sense the I disappointment. Feel like, yeah. <laughs> so Sorry to all the authors who I have done that to over the years. Um, so yeah, that um, I mentioned the newsletter and, and you, you've been a great supporter of that. So I, I have to say thank you because it's it's been a great boost and uh, good validation from somebody I really admire. So thank you. Um, the newsletter is uh, Transfer Orbit. You can find it at uh, transfer-orbit.ghost.io. Um, I'm... Yes, that, that's that's it exactly. It's a, it's a sort of a long mouthful of a URL. Um, but you can find me on um, Twitter at, and, at Andrew Liptak, Instagram at, at Liptak AA. And um, there's links to all that um, um, all over the place. So it, it should be, I should be pretty easy to find. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, I think that's about it. Cool. Oh, Excellent. I should mention that the book is, the book is also available as an audio book. Um, and uh, I've got a, a narrator, Eunice Wong, who did a, a phenomenal job. Uh, she's a phenomenal um, narrator. And um, so if, if audio is your thing, um, you won't necessarily get the pictures. I don't, I don't actually know if they have a, if there's like a, a sometimes they'll send a, a PDF of, of the, the images. I don't know if they're doing that, but um, you can certainly Google as you listen and you'll find a lot of them. And I'll, I'll probably have a bunch thrown up on the web somewhere, so. Cool. Uh, did you mention the who did the forward? Oh, um, yeah, some guy named Adam Savage. Who, if you are a MythBusters <laughs> fan, um, he's he very kindly did the did the um, forward for me. I've I've known him for a while. I I interviewed him at um, while I was at IO9. I think I interviewed him for the first time when MythBusters was coming to a close. And then when I worked for The Verge, um, I had a, an opportunity to sort of do a, a big sit down interview with him and and really and had a it was it's one of those interviews where I've, I've just sat down and just had a really good conversation and i've sort of kept in touch with his manager over the years and um when i was doing research for the book i was able to sit down and interview him out in his cave in in san francisco and that was a, a blast and i was uh you know over the moon that he was he was willing a willing to chat with me and um and then willing to write a, a forward um so 
um, yeah. Yeah, no, I thought that was that was pretty awesome. And it's also one of those really good examples of like the people that you meet doing, again, Jamanti, same thing, like the people that you meet just doing your work or, or having fun, right? Going to fan and going to cons. I tell that to people all the time, like you never know when one of those connections might, you know, you're just, in the end, it's like, oh, we're having fun and it's all, you know, not a big deal, but you never know when then you can go, oh, hey, Daniel Abraham, will you blurb the light brigade? <laughs> there um but yeah no i uh that's a that's a good uh good story yeah yeah it's 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 a little unreal again i got my copies today and it's just still sort of sinking in that hey this is i think the thing that the the thing about this book yeah it's a book but it's like it's been sitting in my head since 2016 and um there's a lot and i'm 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 not trying to sound too self-important but there's like a lot in it like you know I, i i tried to cover a lot and, you know, just the idea of just taking all of those little components and making sure that they all fit together in a way that's cohesive and not just me sort of scrambling everything up in my brain for, uh, what is it, six years? Um, yeah, that's, it's nerve wracking just to see like, okay, it's not just, a, it's not just a file that I've, I've cobbled together. It's actually, you know, something that a ton of people have touched and helped make. And I, I should also point out like, you know, this is, my name is on the cover, um, but like my, uh, Joe played a big role in this. Um, my my editor over there is Amara Hoshido, and she did a phenomenal job editing. Um, we had a phenomenal copy editor who did a lot of fact checking and uh, caught a lot of really stupid mistakes that I made. <laughs> um, um, the marketing folks have been fantastic, um, and so like you know, it's it's a real team effort in trying to get you know turning this from a book into a a product and a package. Um, because you know that's ultimately what this is. It's, it's a um, you know it's it's a, a thing you can buy, and it 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 would not be this far if it had not been for them. So I really want to sort of have to you know acknowledge that they did a really good job and essential job helping me out getting it over that finish line. So for sure. Uh, I lied, Cameron. Um, I said I didn't have any trivia questions. Oh no. And so. <laughs> Andrew, if you're familiar with this year's version of the podcast, it might not be. That's okay. Uh, I like to bug Cameron with trivia questions or, or some sort of question period, question time, as they would call it in the UK, uh, with uh, with some sort of pop culture related. So I figured, why don't we do a Stormtrooper uh, trivia question, and we'll see who, oh, who gets more points. Win this one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> get all the points. Jeez, Tim. <laughs> I also don't yeah. have a stormtrooper helmet in near vicinity that I can wear while I'm doing this. That's so all packed up downstairs. Uh, these are just just some things I found online that I just found interesting, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to throw them out there and see what uh, see what you guys knew. So, first question, or or I guess this is a true or false. True or false? Originally, stormtroopers were supposed to carry lightsabers. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, it's true, very true. In Ralph McQuarrie's original uh, drawings, and shields too, and shield. Yeah, they carried shields and lightsabers. If you want another little bit of trivia, they um, they Lucasfilm doesn't throw anything away, so the original look and feel of those those concept art stormtroopers are making their way into canon through the animated shows. So uh, there's a TV show called The Bad Batch and last season they brought in the concept art troopers. I I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the look. It's sort of a weird, I like the, 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 the the version they ended up with. I really like, but they, yep, they've brought, they've brought them in. And a lot of the other, um, some of those other trooper designs have made their way into canon because they, they don't throw anything away. So. Um, So to go down a clerk's path, and discuss the destruction of the Death Star and the contractors and workers who who unfairly perished in that attack. Uh, roughly, how many stormtroopers died in the Death Star explosion? Was it twenty thousand, approximately twenty thousand, approximately thirty thousand, or approximately fifty thousand? I was going to say twenty. That's the first thing oh, that I came to me. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll split the difference and say thirty thousand. It's Andrew. Andrew got thirty thousand nine hundred and eighty-four stormtroopers died in the Death Star explosion. 
exact. 35. There's that yeah. one guy who got off yes. just the last second. 984. <laughs> <laughs> uh Speaking of now, this this leads into my next trivia question. So let's say let's say you were lucky enough to jump from the star from the Death Star just before it explodes. Roughly, how long can a stormtrooper survive in space? Shit! Before uh, the oxygen runs out. How, how yeah. Long? Do we have a three three choices? Okay, I'll give you three choices. <laughs> Five minutes. <laughs> Five minutes, 20 minutes, or a half hour? 20 minutes. Are they equipped with the uh, breathing devices? Because there's some variants that have. Oh, come on. Now you're getting all. Now you're getting... <laughs> this is just, you I just found this on, a, on comicbookwebsite.com uh, or something like that. Comic book. Uh, I don't even know what It's not very long. Is. I think it's probably like 15 or so minutes. It's 20 minutes. Could... Okay. Uh, they have an oxygen tank if it's attached as a part of their. Uh, armor and, and whatnot yeah. <laughs> yeah if you watch if you watch a new hope sorry i'm dropping extra trivia in here just to uh show off um if you watch the scene when um a new hope when the million falcon is 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 being pulled into the death star you see a couple troopers walking along inside that say those are the um the eva variants <laughs> they, they they filmed um they, they slapped some pipes on them and gave them a little breathing an extra bit of breathing tank so that, that's when you see them in in action for like two seconds i'm pretty sure somebody has dressed up as them before um actually i wonder if somebody has let's see here you go i'm Look sure that up. Yeah. well we, so a uh, fun thing about the 501st is we have something called this the costume reference library and if you type in 501st crl you will find a list of all the costumes that we accept as a group um and there's there's hundreds there there's there's 30, uh, almost 30, oh, sorry, 28 different categories for, and it goes for ARC Trooper, Bounty Hunter, Kashyyyk Trooper, Clone Commander, Clone Pilot, Clone Trooper, a whole bunch of Clone Troopers, Imperial Crew, Imperial Officer, Gunner, Navy, ATSD Driver, Storm Trooper, Shore Trooper, ATAT Driver, Scout Trooper, Sand Trooper, TIE Pilot, Royal Guard, Snow Trooper, Special Operations. And then you can dig into each one of those and like for Stormtrooper, there's like another 20 or 30 and all the different variations of, of each cost, each character you see in the film. Um, and I don't see, we have the concept armor. I don't see the EVA trooper. So maybe mm. that's something if somebody's really, and we also have a, a an animated version. So if you're it's really- a new project you, for you. There you go. <laughs> Personally, my favorite uh, is from Return of the Jedi. I like, is it the scout troopers that rode the, uh, yep. those, those, I, cause I, you know, they got I to hang out with the Ewoks and they seem like <laughs> that would, that would be fun when they weren't battering okay. them when with uh, sticks and things. Um, yeah, that's, that's the I, I, iconic. That's one I haven't done yet. That's one I really would like to do at some point. And they, they showed back up in the Mandalorian all dirtied up, which caused no small amount of drama within the 501st because like, oh, they're they look like crap they're all dirty and like you know they're <laughs> there are people who are upset <laughs> so uh stormtroopers in the original trilogy the majority are left-handed or right-handed i want to say left-handed so i think they i think they carry their gun in the left hand oh okay it's true it's yeah. if, you, if you watch they all carry their their blaster in the left hand when they run and bang into things with their heads <laughs> that explains their shooting accuracy a whole lot better it, it hey, does actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of funny because i um some of that might also be that they switch the shots they they, they reverse them um because i know with with mine i have to wear i have to wear the gun on the right side because of the way the the clip sticks out so i wonder if that's just the way that they i wonder if that's because they flipped it i'll have, I'll have to go back and check in the most recent trilogy, we have the First Order. Roughly how many stormtroopers are in the First Order? 50 million, 12 million, or 100 million? Oof. Wow. Oh. What do you You're think, Andrew? Say 12? I don't know. I, I, that 100 million seems like a lot, but it gets, it's a galaxy. So uh, I, I'm going to go with the small number, 12. 
You're both correct. 12 million. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, true or false, there are female stormtroopers. Sequel trilogy, yes. And in the late Obi-Wan series, you hear a couple of women. Original trilogy, they're all guys. Or most most of them are guys. Some of the my, my wife was watching with me, watching Return of the Jedi at one point, and she's like, Yep, that's a woman walking that in that one. So, but they don't have speaking roles. How did she know? That's I think it's just the way that I, I think it was just the way that they were walking. Um, yeah. they're just different, just different enough that you could you could pick it out. I I, I couldn't tell. But. Okay, you should know this one, Andrew. Uh, well, uh, assuming this is correct, how <laughs> many pieces of blast resistant armor does a stormtrooper have? I can count it off. So we got helmet one, chest two, back three, two shoulders for five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, eighteen. Eighteen is correct. Even even named them all off. Yeah, I was. I've been wearing this since two thousand three, and I've suited up on my own in parking lots more times <laughs> than I can count. I wasn't sure if you're going to count like the shoulder straps and the, the other things that are permanently attached. So no, um, I guess. Have you ever gotten a weird look while suiting up in a parking lot, uh, or or are people pretty much like they know what's going on and they just give you a, you know a thumbs up? Um, not really. Um, for sort of like a, like a parking lot type thing, it's like you know if we're doing like a parade, you know, there's a lot of other people doing the same thing. Um, if we do an event at like a store, usually they'll let us use the back room to, to change. Um, and also I'll, I'll usually change. I like, I wear like an under armor pants and shirt under the armor. And I'll usually like, if, if I know that I'm, I don't have like a bathroom or something to, to, to change into, I'll, I'll put that on before I get in the car. Um, but like, uh, you know, in some cases, like we'll have dedicated changing rooms and like, even up to the point where we'll, we might have like an event rider where we'll say like, we need to have, a room with enough space for X number of people with, with water. Um, so that, you know, if we don't pass out and um, have to go to the hospital, which does happen every now and then I was, I was talking to some folks from the Florida garrison um, and they're like, every now and then you'll get somebody who will have heat stroke and Darth Vader and just <laughs> fall right over. Um, yeah. But like, um, I think the, and actually I, I talk about this, at, actually, it's a little bit of a spoiler for the end of the book, but like there's a, um, in the final bit of the book, I talk about like, there's this, there's one thing that sort of stands out for me. Let's see if I find it here. Um, we were at a, a Toys R Us in Williston, Vermont, which is uh, rest in peace, Toys R Us. So that was a great store for, for, for troops. Um, but um, I remember just, it was like a, it was a start. It was like a, one of those release days where they had a whole bunch of merchandise for this must have been the Clone Wars TV, the the the, the made for TV movie that inexplicably ended up in theaters, um, and or some sort of charity thing. And I just remember this this one woman, you know, like the sort of suburbanite uh, mom who was just like looked took one look at us and just sort of like muttered under her breath, just like loud enough for us to hear, like creepy. <laughs> and it just it has it has stuck with me just that like how strange the hobby is, but like also just like. It, it's a good reminder that like you know a lot of folks like don't always know what we're doing and like they see cosplay as this thing that is really like childish or like you know these are these adult male male children who are like you know just being self-indulgent and they're you know not taking stuff seriously um but it, it's a good reminder that you know a not not everybody sees us what we do but like it's also just so completely wrong that like, you know, yeah, there's a bit of self-indulgence to it, but like we do it because we love the story, but like uh, at least here in the 501st, we do a lot of charity work. Like we visit kids in hospitals. We do um, like one of, one of our members died of um, uh, I think colon cancer a couple of years ago. And it really like, it, it was a big blow to all of us. Cause he was really, he was a, a friend to all of us, you know, you know, if friend or brother, and, you know, we try to like, you know, honor his memory by doing these walks. Um, I don't think we're doing one this year because they, um, they're not, they're not doing that particular walk, but it's like something that has really brought us together. Um, and like, uh, um, there was a girl in Chicago who was being bullied um, for like, you know, she had a Star Wars lunchbox and these, these boys in her class were like, no, Star Wars is for boys, not girls. You're, this is dumb. And she went home really upset 
and like members of the 501st heard about it and they're like well we're girls we like star wars and so they ended up making her a small set of stormtrooper armor and gave it to her and um like when she outgrew it she gave it to another girl who had faced the same thing and so like we we try to like show like you know that we dress up as the bad guys and there's certainly I, we've certainly gotten snide comments about like, oh, look at you, you people dressing up as fascists. But like, you know, we, we're just sort of representing the the story that we love. And, you know, we can bring a bit of joy to people just because they also like it. So, sorry, that's my my sappy tangent off of that. <laughs> Heavy, I, I didn't get a chance to um, go through the all of the book, but did you get to touch on how cosplay and dressing up is used as a political um, voice in the way that like, you know, you would see like women dressed up in the, has the handmaid's tale and protesting before the Supreme court. Yeah, actually. Um, while I was at the verge, um, I had, um, what did you say, Cameron? There's even a picture. I remember oh, there that. Is? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So okay. he goes in while, I was, while, while I was at the verge, I wrote an article about this and you can, you can go read it. And, and um, it's, um, there was a group called the handmaids coalition that formed after a little bit after mm. trump had had come into office and as a whole bunch of abortion bills started going through texas and other places they were showing up in all over the country and i think at, at one point like they all they went to all the state capitals as, as a bit of protest um and i so i, I talk about that but i also like i started to look at other other forms of protest like there was a guy i had i had sort of come into contact with who i can't remember if i included that detail in the book or not but um he was a tea party republican and he dressed up as a um a revolutionary war figure um and then there was you know if you go further back um to the suffrage movement like women were dressing up as um uh, lady liberty and columbia and joan of arc and you know, doing this, you know, they were they were riding down in Washington on horses in the, in these very elaborate costumes. And actually, there's a picture on the front cover of of um, uh, I think it's Columbia, right over right over here. And um, there was a guy in Turkey who was who was protesting some government stuff, as, dressed up as Darth Vader. And so, yeah, that, that that was one of the things that I want. One of the things I wanted to do with the book was to show that this is not just a self indulgent hobby, like costuming there is there's a, usually a purpose to costuming and in, in a lot of cases it's to show your fandom for uh you know the story but like it is also really effect you know there's a reason why you know story you know storytelling is so effective and why costumes are so effective as storytelling tools um those handmaids got a lot of attention um because you have a visceral visceral understanding of what they represent because of the story um you understand what lady liberty is or columbia is maybe not quite so much today, but like back in the early 1900s, you would. Um, and there is, you know, there's a reason why people dress up in costume. It really helps reinforce the points that they're trying to make. And it's it's a way to sort of really um, sort of drive that point home. Um, one of the really fun examples I found is a group called the Fantasticals. And I, I had come, this was one of those like happy accidents while I was researching. Like I came across this like reference to these guys and mostly in the Philadelphia area, they had, um, they were really irritated about like the militia system that had been set up in the 1800s and to protest, they basically set up these mock parades and where they would dress up as these outlandish military officers They'd put like, you know, stupid medals on. They, um, um, one of the examples that I found is that they, they elected a guy who was, um, um, you know, not mentally all there as their leader, which is horrible to do, horrible to do, but it's like, it was one of the things that things that they did. Um, and they was they would basically just march in these ridiculous parades. They'd be sounding horns. They'd be yelling, and they basically eventually sort of turned into drinking clubs, where they would just make a lot of noise and just go out. And usually they get run out of town because they're just so obnoxious. Um, but that you know that, that was a, an element of of, um, of political you know political protest where costumes were were used as a thing. That wasn't quite cosplay because you're not really, but you you are sort of tapping into a story. Um, and also along in the course of the book, I talk about reenactors and living history and like looking at how, how do we, you know, how do we use costumes in uniform to sort of convey that story and bring that story to life just a little bit more. Um, and so my, my definition of cosplay, like cosplay is, is, is sort of like the, the, um, 
you know, really appreciating a fictional story, but like if there's a big umbrella for this sort of activity and under that umbrella is, you know, you have living history where you're trying to bring the, bring the past life to educate and you've got reenacting, which is um, also a bit of educational, but sort of on the amateur side. And then there's cosplay and then there's, you know, protesters. And then there's there. Uh, and one of the things I didn't get to in the book is a chapter about furries, which I really wanted to get to. I just didn't have the space. Um, or time. Um, I'm hoping to do some like lost chapters for the, on the newsletter. So um, good reason to sign up um, <laughs> if I can act together and actually write them. Um, um, but also things like, you know, like the, uh, the, the KKK, like they use costumes to terrifying effect. Um, after actually reading um, Peter Jelly's Clark's um, Ring Shout, like that sort of got me reading about that. I didn't quite get around to writing about that element of it but that's another thing that i'm hoping to get to at some point is just like what the you know that just the power that costume holds it, it's a really it's a, a very visceral storytelling device um and yeah it, it can be used to terrify or it could be used to you know bring joy or to comfort or um anything in between or to just elicit strange looks in parking lots <laughs> excellent well i don't have any more trivia so um could probably uh, wrap up here. I know you got a hard stop coming up, Andrew. So quickly, I'm going to run through Cameron's plugs here. Patreon, go to patreon.com Cameron Hurley for monthly stories and videos for behind the scenes, real-time writing, hangouts, all sorts of stuff. You can follow along at Twitter, Instagram, newly added to TikTok. Tim's very excited about that. I, he edits all the videos, so he's super excited. Yes. <laughs> I have somehow gained a following on TikTok and I don't like it at all. I don't want people commenting. I just want to post dumb videos of my record collection and that's it. And they're they're <laughs> following me and it's very upsetting. Uh, lastly, Hurley's Heroes. Sign up at Substack for that monthly newsletter where you get stuff like this uh, delivered to you. And uh, CameronHurley.com is where you can go for updates and whatnot. It's where you can find everything in one location and the links to everything. Um, and for you, Andrew, Transfer Orbit, you mentioned the link earlier. I'll put that in the show notes as well for people to um, go sign up. Anything else, folks, that I need TikTok. to? You're not on TikTok? You got to get on there and start no. dancing like the kids. Is one, one is one bridge. I mean, I I will say I have been a backup dancer for Weird Al in in armor, but uh, that's the extent that you'll see me dancing. <laughs> yeah, that that you. Yeah, that that's needs a stop. To be... while, that's a stop while you're ahead moment. Nope, there's dog. <laughs> all right, everybody. Um, well, thank you all for tuning in. And remember that, of course, you can also watch this video if you become a patron. So uh, that is also a great perk. So thank you very much, Andrew, for uh, being with us today. Awesome book. I'm very excited for you. I'm so happy this um, you got this going on. So uh, everybody else. Thank you so much. Back I to work. Appreciate it. Back to work. <laughs>